You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Asbury. It's really good to be here um, with you this morning, and thank you for the warm welcome. Um, As you know, this is my first year, first semester here at Asbury. And anytime you move to a new place and you meet people, uh, what they want to know is um, who you are, um, where you're from, and what you do. And if you're teaching, they want to know, well, what do you teach? So um, I'm thankful this morning to have a space to share um, bits of each of those with you, as well as a bit of my, um, my calling and my passion for Old Testament. So I'm gonna kind of intertwine um, some autobiographical stuff with a little bit of my Old Testament interest um, because that seeps into everything. So, okay, first, to start with, where I'm from. That is perhaps the most complex question that I will answer this morning for you. Um, I don't really know where I'm from because I've never lived in one place for very long, (laughs) just a couple of years at a time. Um, So I was born in the States, my family's American, uh, but when I was a child, um, our family moved to England. My parents are um, involved in theological higher education and ministry and served as missionaries as well. Uh, So thankfully, I did grow up in a really healthy Christian home. So I was raised um, with that as well as really good teaching. Now, the the interesting thing about moving to England as a child meant that basically all of my education, um, fifth grade onwards, including university, is from England. Um, What does that entail? Well, one thing is school uniforms. Um, Prior to university, um, primary school all the way through secondary school, high school, A-levels, you are required to wear school uniforms. And they're quite complex. Um, So when you're a child, you actually learn to tie a tie, like a men's tie. Um, But I was 11 and I didn't, I wasn't raised tying ties. So my dad, bless him, had to spend a summer with my sister and I. And he said, This is one thing I never thought I would do with my girls, is teach them how to tie a tie. Um, If you ever need tips, I'm pretty good at it now. (laughs) Um, But this whole uniform involved um, a blazer, a a full button-down white blouse, a tie. It all had to be tucked in um, with a a skirt and tights. And in the winter, you could wear trousers. And they were very, very strict on that. I don't have photographs today, but if you would like some another time, I can show you my school uniform. But that's just one of the interesting things that I I grew up with that and in a very, very different system. Um, So all of my formative years were really in England. Well, during that time, we were in the Midlands, um, outside of Birmingham, if you know your UK geography at all. And then later, we moved to Oxford, um, as in Oxford. Tolkien, Lewis, um, John Wesley was there for a while. Lots and lots of people that you probably know of studied there, lived there at some point. And so that was a great honor. And that's where a lot of my, um, I suppose this emerging calling started to take place. So we'll come back to that in in a little bit. Um, I studied for a couple of years at Oxford in theological and biblical studies, and then I went on to complete further studies at the University of Exeter. Um, If you don't know, that's the southwest coast of England. Um, Nice pebbly beaches. Very nice. 
Well, in a completely different story for another time is how I met my husband, Juan. I was um, at university working on uh, getting ready to start my master's degree, and I was doing an internship with a church, and it happened that that church was partnered with the church that my husband was pastoring in Mexico. And it happened that he had a long-term relationship with them and was also their translator. And so we actually met on a short-term um, work trip. And uh, we are now married, and we have an intercultural um, marriage and household, and occasionally we're bilingual, um, him more so than me, but it happens. Um, and Juan, um, who I hope you'll get to meet at some point, he is an ordained minister as well as served in Mexico as um, faculty and administrators for theological institutes as well as for um, his denomination there in Mexico. Well, we get married. We both live in Mexico together for several years. Um, I do get to engage in a bit of teaching there in Mexico um, with some biblical Hebrew, some theological things, as well as I took a job at a private school teaching advanced English as well. Well, moving forward, uh, we both received the opportunity to go to seminary together. And that seminary was Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. And so we both did seminary degrees there. I recently met someone who said, okay, wait, so you were in the States, a couple of different states, and then you moved to England, a couple of different cities, then Mexico, then Mississippi, now Kentucky, which is exactly right. And so her comment was, I guess you're culturally flexible then, right? <laughs> yes, I'm very culturally flexible. Um, I have a keen interest in learning about other cultures and just immersing myself in um, just a diverse group of people. Um, so yes, very, very different moving from England to Mexico to Mississippi. Those are very, very different cultures. Um, in some ways, Mississippi more so than some of the others. Um, and we are very happy now to be in Kentucky. But after seminary, um, Juan went on to, um, to do some great work in Mississippi um, in school systems and in some churches and in the community while I pursued my doctoral studies. Um, it was from the University of Manchester, which is back in England, uh, but for various visa complications, um, I was a remote student, so doing that uh, distance learning for the most part and spending my summers in Manchester, presenting papers, uh, doing research, going to archives, all of that kind of thing. And so now we get to what I call the fun part of the talk, and that's when people want to know, what do I teach? Or when I was a student, what do you study? I'd be sitting in Starbucks with a really obscure stack of books, and often people in Starbucks would ask me, what are you doing? <laughs> what is it? You must be studying something, but what on earth do you study? Um, well, my dissertation, um, in the British system we call it a thesis, but it was on Moses and perceptions of magic in the ancient world. So my big question, was Moses a magician? And so I looked at a lot of obscure Egyptian ritual text and artifacts. It was very, very exciting. Uh, for the most part, when I just tell people, I teach Old Testament, um, I get reactions like, oh, hmm, why? And people look really puzzled and slightly concerned. And I think, yeah, that's a fair question. Of all the subjects I could be teaching and investing my life in, why on earth have I picked Old Testament? Well, by nature, I really am a very inquisitive person. I'm quietly inquisitive. Um, I ask a lot of questions, um, maybe annoyingly so at times. I'm always asking questions. Um, I'm always trying to figure stuff out and, and just trying to learn more about anything. Um, and so uh, there's just no way you can read the Old Testament and not have big questions come up. 
there's no way. Uh, my least favorite things to hear are when, especially practicing Christians, say, oh, it's just too hard, it's too confusing, or th the very worst thing, if you really want to hurt my heart, <laughs> tell me that it's not that relevant. Um, nothing could be farther from the truth. But we do have this vacuum between our culture, um, our, our history, our geography, the amount of time that has spanned between Old Testament days and ours. We have this huge gap. And so what I love to do is to get in between that gap and figure out, okay, how can we understand the Old Testament on its terms? Not on our terms, but on its terms. And how can we communicate and discuss it in a way that we can all understand? Well, going back to my, um, my university degrees, my time in England, um, a difference in the educational system in Britain is that by the time you get to your degree, you specialize. So your degree is your major. Uh, you don't do generic courses and then major in something. Um, you have to actually um, just take the classes that is your major. Um, so for me, this became a really important um, a really important decision where I needed to choose very, very wisely. Um, what am I going to study and invest all of my time in? <clears throat> can, I, can I get my water? I'm sorry, I meant to bring that up. If I could just get a little sip. So before heading to university, I was really torn between the field of history and biblical study. Yes, it is. Thank you so much. I meant to bring that up with me. I was torn between the, the subject of history, just ancient history, modern history, and biblical studies. But because when you major, essentially that's all the courses you're gonna take, it was really, really important that I make a wise decision. You don't get to kind of change it once you're there. You're stuck with it. So for me, um, the more I studied the Bible on my own, I found scripture was really inviting me in to this journey of learning, to all of these questions, to lifelong exploration. And so what I say is my calling didn't come out of um, some kind of major revelation. It didn't come out of some kind of pious endeavor. It really, truly came out of a, a series of questions that were just asked by me as I read the text on my own and I couldn't come up with the answers. Now, we've got some things in the Old Testament that people want to know, like, did Adam have a belly button? Um, uh, questions related to that, questions related to dinosaurs or the age of the earth. But there were questions related to violence and conquest and wars in the Old Testament especially. I wanted to know why that occurred and how does that relate to New Testament teachings? How as a Christian do you reconcile the fact there is so much violence in the Old Testament? What about gender equality in the Old Testament? Is there such thing? What about human rights and slavery? How do we treat other people? What does the Old Testament affirm? Not what was the culture of the day, but what does the Old Testament actually affirm on that? How about science, medicine, technology? How do we read the Old Testament and, and understand our contemporary scientific technological world and try to make sense of what they are claiming as well? Or when we come to Leviticus, why are there so many purity laws and rituals? Why are so many things called clean and unclean? 
this week, I was telling my class, we looked at Leviticus, I told them, I spent um, part of a day in the student center just getting a coffee, and I sat down on the tables just to do some reading. I hadn't done that before. And there's these little cards on the table, and on one side it says clean, as in the table, the surface has been cleaned. And when you get up and leave, you're supposed to flip it over. That indicates that it needs to be sanitized again. I was really hoping that the other side said unclean because it reminded me of Leviticus. It did not. It was just red. <laughs> um, it communicated the same thing, but I told my class, I said, it's Leviticus. That's what I'm talking about. The fact that I sat on that table, suddenly it's unclean. It needs to be cleaned. And so I hope when you go and sit in the student center, you too will think of Leviticus like I do. <laughs> Um, but we had a great class on that. I've got a couple of my students here. I've, I've seen them, and, and we had some good sessions on it. Well, other questions that I needed to know. How do we know the Old Testament's accurate? Do we? Does history confirm it? How do we know it's reliable? And yes, there are lots of simplistic and formulaic answers to these questions. That's not what I wanted. The problem was they didn't satisfy me. Ultimately, intellectually, they were inadequate. I just wasn't satisfied with the cookie cutter children's church answer, right? We're not kids anymore. We need to go deeper into scripture. And so I always tell students, let's not sanitize the Old Testament. Let's not clean it up. Uh, let's not pretend that the Joseph story is just a beautiful musical. <laughs> No, no, it's a deeply disturbing story of deep family betrayal into human trafficking, into slavery, and then furthermore into prison in a foreign land. Let's not sanitize and clean up Bible stories so that they make cute murals on a wall. Let's actually read it for what it says and then wrestle with the issues it presents to us. Another thing I tell my class is we don't shy away from the hard questions, right? Let's not do that. When we're faced with an uncomfortable passage, let's read it for what it is, let's acknowledge it's uncomfortable, and then dive into it. Let's study it. Let's figure it out together. What is being communicated and how does it apply to us? So what led me to Old Testament studies for my career? Initially, of course, it was this following, this series of questions that just emerged. They just couldn't be easily answered. My desire for learning kind of paralleled my desire to know the knowledge and fear of the Lord. This, these weren't separate things. The, spiritually, the more interested I am in God, it's also paralleling my intellectual desire to actually reconcile a lot of scripture. Why is it that Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it? Why did he talk about a new covenant, which is Old Testament language? Why did he use the Old Testament language and theology rather than just say something completely different? And if Jesus taught and quoted from Leviticus, he didn't ignore it. So if he didn't ignore it, what makes us think we can ignore those parts of scriptures? We cannot ignore it. This was the scripture that Jesus was reading and teaching from. So what does the Old Testament actually teach us today? Well, spoiler alert, we're not going to answer all those hard questions I just put out there. Um, what we do is throughout our courses that we offer here, including OT100, which I get to see so many of you in, we start to address those. We dive deeper. And I encourage you in your Bible studies, your personal time, read the Old Testament, wrestle with the issues. Let me just share with you a brief portion of scripture from Deuteronomy, uh, chapter six, verses four through nine. We've got it on the screen in English and then the first line just in Hebrew. 
Don't worry, it's not gonna be a Hebrew lesson. I just want you to visually see what Hebrew looks like. Let me read it for you. This is known as the Shema. Some of you might be interested in this. You might know about it already. It is um, in scripture, it's the Jewish affirmation, and it's also a Jewish prayer. It's also quoted by Jesus in the Gospels. So it appears in, in part in its New Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord Yahweh is our God. The Lord Yahweh is one. You shall love the Lord Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is one of these Old Testament passages. If I was just gonna grab one from Deuteronomy, this is probably one of the more accessible ones, right? Uh, you can grasp the meaning overall. You can see kind of how to apply it. We see that this passage clearly affirms who God is. It actually includes his personal name, Yahweh. So in your English translations in the Bible, when you see the word Lord in all capitals, capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all of it, that actually indicates in Hebrew you have a divine name, Yahweh, given, as opposed to the word Lord, or as opposed to the word God. We have a lot of different words and names for God in the Old Testament that are often lost in an English translation. Well, now you can read it knowing that's where a personal name is being put. And we have, of course, in the context of the ancient world, polytheism, the existence and practice of worshiping multiple gods. So what Deuteronomy here is saying is, first, this is who God is. Um, his name is Yahweh, and he is one, the one God of Israel. He is not among the many deities. He is, in fact, one. This is countercultural for the day. The instructions that follow then, you shall love the Lord Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Keep these words I'm commanding you in your heart today. Well, heart in Hebrew is lev, and actually, perhaps that's not the best translation. It does mean heart, but for the Jewish Hebrew understanding, what it means is that the, the place of your intellect. So some translations go with mind. This is not fuzzy, warm feelings heart. This is your mind, your will, um, your, uh, your inclinations. Those are what it should be devoted to God. So we've got this built-in clear application. We've got the acknowledgement of who God is, uh, the revelation of who God is, followed by a response. In light of knowing who God is, then, as a result, you should love the Lord your God with all your mind, your soul, your strength, and you should keep the words in your heart and then continue, here's all the ways you should practice it. Well, one of the many benefits here at... Um, Asbury, of course, is you have the option of Hebrew. I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. But the benefit of learning biblical Hebrew is that you actually get familiar with the semantic range of words that just don't fully translate in English. So I mentioned earlier, we can go back to the slide actually, it, this is called the Shema. Where does this name come from? Well, it actually is that very first word next to the number four at the bottom, that's Hebrew, and that word reads Shema in Hebrew. Guess what? You know more Hebrew than I did when I started university. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Shema, it means here. That's how it's often translated as a command, here. But guess what? If you actually look into the Hebrew, Shema means so much more than here. It could also mean observe, 
give attention to this, and also obey. It's the same word that also means you should obey. And so the implication here is so obvious to a Hebrew Jewish audience. These words um, related to hearing the word of God, give attention to the word of God, uh, result in obedience. These are not separate activities. You don't just hear it and then you decide later if you're going to obey. It's the same word. This is the same concept being taught. Because if you have truly heard, then you will truly understand and you will truly obey. I'm reminded of the New Testament as well and elsewhere in the Old Testament. But the words of Jesus, sometimes at the end of a parable, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Those who are willing to listen, those who are willing to understand, who see God, who recognize God, should obey. They should naturally, the result should be obedience to God. And the Shema is also a call to whole and holistic obedience, right? Every part of our being should be in obedience and love to God. So again, that semantic range in Hebrew for these words related to heart and will and strength, it's intellect, it's inclinations, it's your reasoning faculties, your emotion, your desires, your plans, your strength, even your power, all of these efforts should be for the love of God. And what is love of God? Love of God is demonstrated as obedience to God. So going back to Hebrew, one of my privileges is not just to teach Old Testament, but also biblical Hebrew. Did you know you can take biblical languages here? Do you have any idea how amazing that is? What an opportunity to learn an ancient language, the original language of scripture, as undergraduates. You can actually take Hebrew as your language requirement. That is fantastic. You're not going to be able to just go along anywhere in life and just pick up some Hebrew here and there. This is a great opportunity for you to learn. And you don't have to know one bit of this to take it. I've got a group right now, and it's just Hebrew 101. They didn't know anything. They didn't know the alphabet. And now we're already moving along. And they're like, wow, the semantic range is amazing. These words are so complex. And English doesn't always do it justice. It gives us so much clarity, as well as interest in the passages. For example, um, did you know that when we talk about Noah and the ark, the Hebrew word used for ark there is the same word used when Moses is a little baby and he's put in a basket and he's sent out into the Nile. The basket word, it's the exact same word for ark. It's not a different word. So Moses is put into an ark in order to save him for God's purpose, just like Noah is put into an ark to save him for God's purpose. Isn't that interesting? Um, what else? The covenant. I was just talking about this with our class in Old Testament survey. In English, we talk about God makes a covenant with his people. That's true. He does. In Hebrew, the verb, rather than make, it's cut, to cut a covenant with his people. And we talked about what does that mean? Why is it cut? Well, it's because in the Old Testament, when you make a covenant, you always have to sacrifice an animal, you cut it in two, you place the two parts of the animal opposite of each other, and the parties swearing into this covenant agreement walk in between the pieces. So even the language of Hebrew is communicating even more of the message than we might first read. So if Hebrew can help us just understand a little bit of this passage, an easy passage. Imagine how it can help us with some of the tricky passages. Well, going back to my um, high school and university days, 
I did sense some kind of calling. I, I, I wanted to teach. I wanted to teach people something. I wanted to equip people. I didn't know what that would look like. I didn't know what subject it was. But as I pursued my own studies and wrestled with these kinds of issues, it was just so clear. This is what I want to help other people with. This has opened my eyes to scripture. Uh, this has really changed my life. And so if it's done it for me, how can I help do that for someone else? So I have said so much more of an appreciation for Old Testament history and geography and languages and understanding this culture. And the greater I learn about this, the more I learn about this, the greater appreciation I have. And guess what? I actually understand the New Testament far, far better because of studying the Old Testament. Even in New Testaments in Greek, but did you know how many times our New Testament writers are quoting Old Testament? Do you know how many times they're actually borrowing um, Hebrew phrasing and it's just being translated into Greek? I understand scripture, I understand New Testament better because of my understanding of Old Testament. And the more I learn about God and I grow in my relationship with God and I study more of scripture, the more I'm aware of how much I don't know that we can never exhaust the amount of knowledge there is to learn about God. There's no such thing as you've taken enough classes, you know everything you need to know about the Bible. No, no, it's not that simple. <laughs> There's so much depth to it. There's so much more for us to learn. And this is what I call the life-giving knowledge that fuels me with passion. It gives me a desire to even learn more. And as a result of this calling to teach, I, I pursued that PhD in Old Testament studies. I committed to it. And then I'm here at Asbury now. And this is wonderful. I'm so excited to be here teaching Old Testament and Hebrew. It's truly a joy for me to walk through these hard issues with students and for me to continue to wrestle with them. I encourage you all, keep asking questions. That is the start of effective learning, is asking questions. Ask them, lots of them. I want to hear your questions. And my final charge to you is don't just hear or read scripture. Don't just read the words, but respond in obedience and obedience to the love of God.